Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your hosts, Joe Rowles. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I am Joe Rowles, and I am welcomed once again by Tim Jenkins. If you guys have not tuned into the last time I, me and Jeff actually spoke to Tim, we actually went over the quarterback options facing the Broncos back in February. Um, ironically enough, there's a couple of those same quarterbacks still available. Uh, yeah. I don't think we're planning to really deep dive into that today. Uh, it might it might happen, but I don't think we're planning to. But I'm really, really stoked to have him back. Former NFL quarterback, trains quarterbacks, if you guys don't follow him on Twitter, he is at T Jenkins Elite. Uh, and again, it's exactly how it sounds. T J E N K I N S Elite. Uh, yeah, thanks for coming back, man. I'm really happy to talk with you. I'm pumped up. It was a lot of fun last time too. I think Jeff probably bailed because last time we joked, we're like, we could just talk for like an hour or two about quarterbacks. So we felt like I don't want to be in that. <laughs> I, he he definitely. I mean he. He had a concern, but the big thing was uh, I brought it up that we were talking this week. He's like, oh, I'm going to Portland. I'm bringing the heat with me. So, <laughs> and, and he actually was telling me today he just took off for Portland. So he's actually like showing up right when they're like hitting 112 today or whatever. So Yeah, they are. I, I saw uh, uh, Nick, who I follow on Twitter, he's always – he was tweeting about how hot it is up in like Seattle and Portland and all that stuff. So. We had it in Colorado for a while. I went down to our – we have, like, a location in Scottsdale. I went down there the other week. It was, like, 112 on the field. But the kids were fine because they're all used to it, and it's just, like, the coaches who had a couple of margaritas the night before. Like, I should not have dehydrated myself, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know uh, when I was in Korea, the days that were like that, it's just – it beats you up. And then, again, yeah, like you said, if you're out the night before – drinking soju or drinking margaritas like you're definitely gonna suffer yeah. for it so yeah, you're hopefully, in trouble. hopefully jeff isn't out drinking too hard with the wife this week because that'll <laughs> probably uh kick his ass but, yeah. but no uh i want to talk about pat Shermer first and foremost but yeah. i also i think we'll probably talk a little bit of quarterbacks as well obviously but but the big question i have and this is just one of those things we're in this situation right now where we don't necessarily know who's going to be starting at, at quarterback yeah. for the broncos we have teddy bridgewater on one side drew lock on the other I know a lot of people, for some reason, are getting upset about this, but there continues to be the possibility of Aaron Rodgers kind of hanging yeah. over all of it. Um, but the one consistent thing we know we're going to have this year is Pat Shermer calling plays. Again, yeah. presumably that you know he doesn't get fired or anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I don't think that'll happen. But 
Pat Shermer is kind of a controversial, controversial figure in Broncos country right now. Uh, he seems to be drawing a lot of ire for last year's struggles. I think some of it might be fair. Some of it probably not so fair, but I've gone back over some of the tape. I know you've watched a lot of tape. So I really, I want to pick your brain on it because you understand it in a way that like most of us don't. I know I don't see the game the same way you do. You just have an understanding that's just beyond where I'm at. Um, so kind of, first of all, is Pat Shermer bad? Like, I, I know that's like a yeah. really simplistic question. No. But I feel like that's like kind of a good build up. It's a great that. question. It's a great question. And I think like, so uh, let me answer it two ways because I, I, my gut, I, I feel like my gut always is like uh, to defend the guys in the NFL because it, uh, oftentimes they're so misunderstood or like, it's like, Hey, this guy is really terrible at calling plays. And then when you really watch it, it's like, well, it's actually a great play call. Quarterback went to the wrong side. Like, I feel like there's so much misunderstanding. I also do feel like there's this, there's this like culture in the NFL where we re- re- we just regurgitate these hires over and over. And it's like, it's almost as if like, Hey, we just know this guy won't get us fired right away. We'll get like three decent years of like respectable pro football. So we hire him. So I, I would answer it in the fact that I don't think last year I can really judge if he's good or not. Because one, I don't think Drew was at a point until later in the season where he was even seeing the play the right way. Like I was pretty honest in like week 10 when Ben and Ryan started asking me to come on about like, listen, he just is looking at the wrong side. Like I feel like I was like pretty vocal about it. He cleaned some of it up. So I feel like it's hard to evaluate him. But if you go back, like Sherber's offenses rarely have been like exceptional. So I think it's a super fair question of, is he is he not a great play caller or is it like inherently hard to be a great play caller if you never have a great quarterback yeah you know like i i would joke that like andy reed i don't think is like the craziest play design guy ever until now when it's like hey patrick look what we can do you know because you have these guys outside that it's like insane this the you, the Denver Broncos could not run schematically what Kansas City does. Yeah. So that's where it's like, okay, is, is Pat Shermer bad or is he inherently limited? And then, like you've talked about, okay, now we sign Aaron Rodgers, which I think everyone in Broncos country should be excited about. I think maybe there's just like too many people, like they've just been talking about the same stuff over and over. So now everyone's just mad at each other. But if you get Aaron Rodgers, Pat Shermer probably becomes a way better play caller. It's like, you know who looked like a hell of a play caller for a while was Adam Gaze when he was calling it for 18. You know, 18, 18 makes everybody look good. And I'll admit, I got suckered by that. When he went to Miami, <laughs> I thought he was going to be a decent coach. And yeah. again, obviously I was wrong. So it's probably good that I wasn't the one hiring coaches back then. Well, I just think, and I, and I think, but I think that's where your question's fair is it's yeah. fair to question him because like it's never been exceptional. So I would say, I feel like Pat puts a really good – he puts good structure in his offense based on what I see. You can see, okay, his concepts make sense. And I know that that's kind of like low-hanging fruit, but to be honest, I've watched almost every single NFL team this year. There are a lot where the concepts don't make sense. So to just like say, okay, conceptually I understand what's going on, it is a, it's a bonus because there's a lot of guys that are throwing some stuff out there because they see it in college or they see it somewhere else, and they're like, oh, let's try it. And it makes no sense. So he puts a good structure around his offense. Will Is Pat Shermer ever going to be the guy that single-handedly, like McVay's in offense? I don't believe he's ever going to be that guy. Do I think the Denver Broncos need that to win? In the current form of the roster, no. Um, he would – the the interesting conversation, which I think we're going to get to, is if Aaron Rodgers does come, how does that conversation go? Yep. And and that's the one that I think would be fascinating for everybody. But no, I don't think Pat Shermer is inherently bad. I don't think he's like a, I don't think he's like a bottom ten offensive coordinator. Um, I won't make you name. No, names. I, I won't make you name names there in case yeah. anybody else. <laughs> but I also wouldn't say that he's someone that I think is like. He's changing the game. I do think he deserves a little bit of credit of there are some things that some guys came up with like weeks one, two, and three, like Cliff Kingsbury was running 
that then I saw show up on the Broncos tapes like week nine and 10. So they are looking around and then saying, okay, let's steal this, which a lot of guys don't do. So I think he deserves some credit there, but no, I don't think he's like, I just don't, I don't view him as like a McVay or a Cliff Kingsbury who love them or hate those guys. They're pushing the game in a certain direction. Um, and I just don't, I don't see Pat in that same light. I'm actually, I'm really glad you bring that up because back when the Broncos hired Pat Shermer, uh, so first of all, I was a bit biased just because I was pretty, I was, I liked what I thought Rich Gangarello was doing in terms of like concepts, yeah. how he was running stuff. I thought it fit Drew Locke. I thought it made sense in terms of the personnel and comparing the two. I definitely saw some areas, like you said, there were plays with Scangarello where the receivers were running routes on top of each other. And you kind of yeah. were like, what the hell is going on? Um, and part of that, you know, at the time we we're saying, oh, it's young receivers. Well, it might've been young receivers. It might've been a bad concept. Might've been, we don't know, or I don't yeah. know. Um, but then I looked at Pat Shermer and to me, and again, this, I've, I've been getting a lot of criticism for this, but like as an avid Madden player, I yeah. saw his concepts and a lot of them were like, dude, I remember calling that play in Madden. It's crazy. Like yeah. I, a lot of the stuff, it's, <laughs> it's like base West coast offense type stuff. It's yeah. stuff you can recognize. Not all of it, but a lot of it was that. And on one level, that's good because I felt like, well, it's stable on the yeah. other side of it. It wasn't going to be crazy innovative. And when I went back and looked at the, like the DVOA numbers, like the efficiency numbers, he never really jumped up as like a really good play caller no. other than that 2017 season, which was kind of, it's fluky. And I'm not trying to fluky on Keenum, fluky on, but it was, it was an outlier season. When you look at every other season, he's called plays. But as you just alluded to at the same time, the best quarterback he's probably had over that period of time was, I think he had Sam Bradford for a year. I think he had yeah. Case Keenum and the Case Keenum had a magical year, but he hasn't had, he hasn't had Pat Mahomes by any means. No. And what well, I think, so I don't want to interrupt you, but no, no. I think you brought up a great point, which is honestly, I think the best, and, and it's going to be brutal if I'm wrong on this, but I want to say the best stretch that I've ever seen Shermer's offense was when Sam was there and healthy. Yep. And it was like four games. Yep. 2016. Maybe. The 2016 yeah. run with him. Yeah. No, Bradford was mad accurate during yeah. that, that stretch. And, and that's where I, that's where for me and people were like, and people have been killing me. Cause I, you know, I, I was trying to point, Hey, here's how I think Drew Locke could develop and be good. But people have been killing me. Cause I'm like, listen, after they signed Teddy, I said the, tr the truth, which was, I think Teddy will win the job just because I think the Broncos current roster makeup isn't like, Hey, let's go win 30. Let's go win 30 to 45. I think they're trying to win 28 to 14 and the defense is going to play well. And then we're not going to turn the ball over. I think that's what they want to do. But I think if you look at Teddy, Teddy is everything that Bradford was in that offense within 20 yards. What you don't get with Teddy that you got with Sam was Sam has some shots in his golf bag that no one else has. Yep. Like there's a reason the dude was number one overall is because he can rip the ball all over the field. He just couldn't stay healthy. So that's what you wouldn't get is the vertical stretch. But within 20 the way that offense looked in Minnesota with those whatever three or four games where Sam was actually healthy, it's not terrible, right? Yep. Again, it's not like innovative. We're not changing the game, but it's it's winnable football. Yep. Well, and and again, I want to get into that part of it uh, in a second, cause like Bridgewater versus Locke, because one of the things I really want to touch on is kind of how the offense will probably evolve depending on who wins the job. Yeah. But but one of the things I think like before we get that because I don't I don't want to miss these parts with Shermer himself. Yeah. Um what kind of stands out to you other cuz again like for me like I think he really likes dragon. I like like slant mm -hmm. flat. I see that a ton. Um I know he likes Yankee a lot. I've noticed that a lot. But in terms of like staple concepts to you um and again trying to keep in mind that like I'm not an NFL quarterback and I never have yeah. been, never will be. But like what really stands out to you is like stuff that Shermer kind of like his binky type plays, the plays that, you know, basically he's going to try and incorporate into his offense. Yeah. You nailed it. Dragon, right? The double slant on one side and then slant arrow, or it's just a combination of either. A lot of people like say dragon is just a slant arrow, but slant arrow with double slant. He loves that, right? He loves stick, which is just like the six yard tight outside turn. And then he, he, he uses the tight end sometimes if they're in that like two tight end set where it's, two tight ends on one side, two receivers on the other. He'll use one of the tight ends on the arrow. Or 
if they're in 11 and the tight ends on the stick, they sometimes use the back. Like that's his creativity of the stick. Um, they did a lot of stuff. They did a lot of this play that I liked a lot, which was they had the number two receiver on a deep over and the number one on a big end. Yeah. So they were doing that a ton this year. What my favorite thing that Pat Shermer did that I hadn't really seen on tape was they were they ran their boots this year off of pulling a guard. Yep. Which yep. is something that like I, I call a power boot now um, that I hadn't seen before that I really like because it's like run action. And in, if we're being honest, in boot, like you don't block anybody anyway. So try to influence them with the pull. So that was cool to see. But I would tell you that like when I went in, when I think about it throughout the years – there's like staple concepts in the fact of like, you're always going to see a nine stop route. You're always going to see like certain things. He really does try to change it or alter like little tiny details based on his quarterback. Yeah. Especially when he has a vet. What I noticed was when he has someone that like, you know, it's not, it's hard because he had Daniel Jones when he was a rookie and then, you know, Drew wasn't a rookie this year, but I don't think Pat probably viewed him as like, Hey, it's someone I want to talk to, to get like input. Well, yeah. And that's so like, Sorry, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but no, it's exactly uh, – that's something that I think would be dramatic in terms of like Teddy Bridgewater or Aaron Rodgers yeah. versus Locke. And again, maybe Locke in you know, second year of the system, maybe he has more say in stuff. But I do know like – and I've, I've heard this before with other play callers. Like Adam Gase with Peyton Manning was more of a partnership than really like a coach yeah. telling Peyton Manning what he's going to run. And it's yeah. similar with when you have a Teddy Bridgewater who's been running you know NFL offenses for a while – you're probably going to him and saying, these are the things we want to run. What do you like? And we start to kind of, it's a partnership. There's also a respect issue. And I don't mean it from like Drew Locke himself. I mean it from like, there's like a huge culture divide. And like, I'm a part of it. Like where I look at air raid and shit. And I'm like, that is dog shit football. Right. Cause I grew up in like West coast. Like here's how we read plays and we care about stuff. Like I'll even argue with Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner tweets me and he's like, here's how I read it. I'm like, that's shit, right? But it's like, the dude's a Hall of Famer. But they're just like, the, when you grow up in a West Coast system where like you have answers for everything, you feel like it's better than everything else. So Pat Shermer then is talking to Drew, who played in all this like college air raid BS. Like he doesn't care. He's not like, hey, tell me what you ran at Mizzou. Yeah. Whereas when Teddy comes in, who's cut his teeth in the league forever, you're genuinely curious. Like, oh, okay, how'd you do this? Okay, what was it? It's like PJ, when he came back this year, I was like all ears because I want to know what Joe Brady's doing. Because yeah. to me, like, Joe Brady's like one of the up-and-coming minds. So there's just different, like, levels to it, right? Or Aaron Rodgers comes down. Of course, Pat's going to have a ton of respect for him. I don't think it has anything to do with, like, hey, he doesn't respect Drew's opinion. But it's just like, what is Drew? All really Drew is known is, hey, Missouri spread – right? Who Pat's going to have no like real respect for. And then like, I don't want to be a jerk, but like, I think what you said about Rich was like spot on. Cause when I went and watched Shanahan stuff with the Niners, I was hypercritical. Their run game is innovative. Yes. Their pass game though. There's some plays where I'm like, what in the hell are they doing? It makes no sense. And it's like, there's too many plays schemed up where it's like, we're trying to get this one guy open. Like, that's not, to me, NFL level. Like, I think it's like a waste because the NFL is going to have an answer. Like, you can scheme up one guy getting open, and that's why Sarkeesian looked like a god at Alabama because it's like you can scheme that up in college. I just think of the NFL, it's like if we're scheming up one guy, like it's not good football. And I think it's where you see, like, receivers condensed and all that stuff. So I think that's part of why Pat probably wasn't, like, overly eager to, like, get in Drew's ear and figure out, Hey, what do you like? And then Drew goes out and busts like simple reads, which probably compounded the issue mentally for Pat, which is like, he can't even read subway. Why am I going to ask for his input when it comes to the offense? And that's where it probably was more of like a dictatorship than, Hey, let's, let's get together and talk about it. Yeah, no. And that's, and I'm glad you brought this up too, because I, I talked about this with uh, PFS Seth Galina last week about how Drew Locke, his best year in terms of like statistics, like raw statistics, touchdowns and stuff, came in Josh Heupel, uh, and I'm going to slaughter his name, Josh Heupel, uh, his yeah. offense, which is super spread out. And it's the kind of offense that it works in college because the spacing with the hashes allows for it. 
But in the NFL, it just isn't going to work the same way because yeah. defense, first of all, defenses have more speed, but also like just the overall parameters of the field, it's easier to cover that kind of stuff. You can't just split a guy yeah. out forever. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and trips doesn't work the same and all that kind of stuff. Like you nailed it. It is, it is interesting. And it's part of what I think is so interesting then when evaluating these guys, that's a whole different conversation, but it's like, you know, I, I personally, I think it hurt Justin Fields more than anybody in this draft. Like, I think Justin Fields is like the one kid that I just think there was so much on tape left to want, and it had nothing to do with him and everything to do with his coaches. And it's like, if you drop Justin Fields at Texas A&M with Jimbo Fisher, like running all the pro concepts that Jimbo runs, and then Justin doing what he would have done, which is tear it up. Like, I think he competes for the number one overall pick. Instead, you give him to Ryan Day, and they run all this Star Wars-y stuff because they're just better than everybody. But then they also then run, like, concepts that are literally Nick Saban, like, built his defense to stop, and that's what they're going to give the poor kid to try to, like, win a college football championship. So it's, like, it's just a bigger issue, too, of, like, you know, then when you – if you go back and you're evaluating Drew in that offense, well, okay, he looks great, but is that part of why he slid – to the second round. Like you don't know, right? Like I, you yeah. don't know what the actual conversations were, but I do think it's something that, that you have to consider. And then it's just, you know, drew very well could have like the double slant slant arrow. Me and you were talking about his second year in the NFL could very well have been the first time he was asked to actually read that play yeah. as a PSL. And it's like, so then it's also, to me, it's always hard with the kid because it's like, I don't want to make excuses for him, but shit, if it's the first time you're reading that and you also didn't get reps, like I more or less start to get it. Yeah. But then it's also like now if you view it from an organizational perspective, like this year, it's really it, right? Like you either do it or you don't. And then now if Aaron Rodgers is available, you just go get him because that's a no-brainer, right? It's like the Peyton Manning you know, you didn't wait for T. You don't want to wait for Tebow to develop, right? Let's go ahead and get eighteen. <laughs> so I think Aaron Rodgers is is the same, but I think Aaron Rodgers is earlier in his career than Peyton was. So yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see kind of how it all shakes out. Uh, so kind of, kind of jumping, I guess. Then knowing, and again, I might jump around a little bit, so I I apologize. Yeah. Uh, no, I love that. But but kind of but kind of with Locke, knowing entering year two. Um, and again, you and I have talked about this before, but they didn't run a lot of horizontal leading routes last year. It seemed like Shermer started to move away from that. They started to dial up a lot more play action. When I was talking to Seth Galina last week, he brought up, according to PFF grading, again, you know, take that for what it's worth. Uh, yeah. By PFF grading, though, uh, Drew Locke was a top 10 player on play action rollouts. Um, yeah. At the same time, when he wasn't, when he was just passing, you know, straight drop back passing, he was one of the lower ranked quarterbacks in football. Which, and again, my, my overarching question of this is, a lot of the criticism of Shermer comes down to play calls and situations. And I brought this up with Seth of, like on second and long, you probably can't call a lot of play-action rollouts because they're not yeah. going to buy it. But yeah. if you don't necessarily trust him to call a straight, uh, to perform on a drop-back pass, you're stuck with probably running plays or a passing game that's going to be hard to execute. So it's like one of those damned-if-you-do, damned-if-you-don't moments at the same time, I do have legit, like complaints beyond Locke because I'm not trying to just bash Locke. Yeah. Um. So like one of the big issues I have with Sherman, I don't know if you have any that kind of come to mind, but the one that like really irked me kind of all all season long, I thought personally that they were calling a lot of ISO shots from like the 30 in, and yeah. I just and it just felt like without Sutton, it just creates a situation with a personnel that is kind of tough to execute because Locke might have the arm to do it, but you have Jerry Judy. Who and again he's capable, but that's not his game. Like he's not going to win jump balls consistently. KJ Hamler is five foot nine on a good day, yeah. And so then you're just relying on Tim Patrick and Noah Fant to pull it off. So like I didn't necessarily like that stuff. Um, but like, why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. 
maybe I'm just, it, this might just be like a me fan getting caught on like, you know, the results rather than the process. Yeah. Cause I do know there's some, there's some merit to calling those ISO shots around there. Cause you're trying to get in the end zone. You still have some space to execute it. Yeah. But like, kind of like where, where do you kind of land on some of that stuff? Because I know that those are the big things. If, yeah. if I tell people I'm talking Pat Shermer, the first thing people are going to say to me is his play calling is garbage. And he always calls runs on second along. Like those are the yeah, two things I, I hear the most. I, well, one, I think uh, the, I, the, the shot situation in the 30 is, is just going to be a philosophy thing. I bet if you were to like chart it back, like I, he's probably just a guy who gets past. There's a lot of guys who once they cross the 50 and get into plus territory, they want to take a shot at it. Makes sense. Right. And then, okay, we'll, we'll see where it's at. I would guess that's what it is. And I would guess that he was more like with how many, you know, calluses he has from a play caller. He just kept calling it regardless of who they had. And I would be willing to bet that, that it probably was the same if, in, with the Vikings and everybody yeah. else. Yeah, it was. My What I really didn't like was their – and I, I was pretty vocal about it, but is the like first, first and ten. Yeah. Or a lot – really any first and ten. I don't think they had very many just like cheap completions. And there were a lot of coverages that would have allowed for it. And that's something that I think – it's always hard with the grades too, right? Because it's like, okay, well, you know, how many quarterbacks in the NFL like are just catching and throwing screen? And it's like, so that's where it's always hard, like efficiency and all that stuff. And I'm sure they account for it. And I just like, don't no, know I, the hell about it. No, but I, I, but, think that's, I think that part's fair. And that's why I, like, I'm not trying to necessarily get caught up in the actual, like the number yeah. rank, but just like from a relative standpoint, I do care about that. Yeah. Stuff usually it's so. a huge, and it's a huge disparity. And yeah. I think, like, I would love to see more of the completion stuff, regardless of who's quarterback. They're going to yeah. have to do it with Teddy. But I think it's something that would benefit Drew if he's the guy. And I think the from the second down perspective, you're right, which is if I'm in second and long and I really feel confident when I simplify it by getting my quarterback on the edge and I don't like him in the pocket, second and long is then a rundown, right? Because mm-hmm. you're trying to get to third and manageable. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of stuff could be cured – from a design perspective, I think when I really saw, hey, they had a two-shell, three-shell side, was all quick game. If you elongate that and they do some like Y-dog, which is like, hey, deep out with an under on one side and then, you know, hey, seam with like a Harvey route outside and that's our single high side, there's some stuff you could do to help. And I would be willing to bet that Shermer has it at his disposal in his playbook. I just think when when Drew struggled early with the comp- – just a quick game, you like start pulling everything three back. Shell, then he's just like, okay, well, I don't have anything. And then it became like, okay, let's run play action or let's try to get a cheap one on these deep overs. And that's where I could see things kind of maybe spiral out of control. Cause honestly, I went back and tried to watch the whole season. Like week one looked like a completely different offense. It does. Then it does in week 14. And then it's like, okay, well why? Cause some of these concepts were great. Why didn't we keep them? And drew executed them well. And so, that's where it was. And you also don't know like what they had dialed up in the Pittsburgh game that, you know, then they didn't run. And so I, I do think that that's a fair question. I would tell you that my biggest issue was the first and 10 and the cheap completion stuff. Cause I just think there was so many situations coverage wise that dictated like, dude, just throw a hitch and we can really get our feet moving forward. And I think that does a lot for an offense and a quarterback psychologically. Um, that would be my big issue. But I do think like it's a valid criticism, which is, hey, you know, second down, it'd be interesting to get him behind closed doors and actually know. Like, was it you don't have good second down, like drop back passes, second and long? Or was it like, hey, you kind of lost confidence in three, and that's why we, you know, kind of shied away from some of those situations. I do think that it's a, it's a fair criticism, though. But it is hard, right, because you try to – you're trying to actually look at everything. And then when people are like, well, he's a trash play caller. And that's what's hard is when I went back and started really watching the whole season, there were a lot of cool concepts on tape. And there were a lot of plays that were dialed up well and we just missed. Like there were a lot of balls in week one that it was like, that's just a misread. It should have gone here. And then all of a sudden it's a really good offensive game, right? If we don't drop certain things and we go to the right spot. So that's where it is hard to – you know, to say, hey, he's terrible, because I don't think he's terrible. But again, I, I think it's back to that original point, which is, hey, you know, he's not going to change the game, but there are some some real valid criticisms. And for me, my biggest one was that first and 10. Well, and I think that's 
like I know the last time we spoke, the first and ten came up too. And and to my point, the big complaint about the second and down, your complaint snowballs into my issue. Is like yeah, you're gonna right. get stuck on yeah. second and long if you're not dialing up easy stuff on first and ten. So that is something that I really do hope that the Broncos do a better job of this year, just because they have the personnel to do it. Oh yeah, I mean they really do have. This is the thing that's hard is you watch their tape and there's like dudes that I see catching over routes that I have to like look up their and again I, everybody knows I'm not like an avid fan I try to watch like everyone in the NFL but it's like I have to look up their freaking jersey number I'm like who is this and he's a really good player <laughs> so I do think there's like I think they have depth I think they I ugh, the Broncos are a team that you almost feel bad saying hey they need to give Drew another shot because you also you almost don't want to waste a year right of all the skill players and then at the same time it's like you also don't want to rush to judgment so it's like i'm in this weird area where it's like man i don't know really what the right route is with it i think that's the crux of a lot of the issues with a lot of the debate about Locke is because like and again i fundamentally believe the broncos are essentially a quarterback and a right tackle away from being a very very good team with you know assuming everyone kind of develops but at the same time i understand and especially the more i've looked into some of the issues because Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke, a lot of their issues that crop up from 2020, it kind of stems from similar issues. The fact that, like, just like Locke, Bridgewater was in a new offense. And again, yeah. yes, he knew he knew Joe Brady, but it was still his first year as a starter, new offense, no training camp, or limited training camp, no preseason, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So in, in that way, like, I think it's fair to understand that they should get another chance with Locke as well. My concern, again, you and I have talked about this before, but like my concern is just like, what is Julak ceiling? And that's yeah. that's tough. But yeah. but I do understand the rationale for it. But but kind of getting getting from there, how do you see like Shermer's offense building if Locke is the guy? Um, and again, this assumption is like with the idea that Locke is not making a Josh Allen leap. Like I'm not saying yeah. he's suddenly an MVP, but kind of like a realistic the things that he really needs to fix he improves enough that he can beat out Teddy Bridgewater, but he's still, he's still drew lock. What yeah. kind of like plays into his strengths the most? Yeah. I think that the number one thing I think you'll see more of is I think you'll see more movement stuff specifically. I think you'll see more movement from the gun. They did a lot from under center. I think you'll see more from the gun. I think you'll see a lot of run action shot plays, like whether it's on the move or in the pocket. Cause I think they did some cool stuff against like Oakland with like the deep, like sit routes at like 20 yards Yeah, that Drew's really good at. And he makes some big time throws that I think they need to lean into more. Like it really, you know, people are already like, Oh, well his air yards are so much. Like, I think you've got to see that improve if you're going to actually see the Broncos offense gets better. The Broncos offense to me with Drew Locke under center, my worry is like, I don't think he's, again, I I don't want to, you know, I'm biased. I don't know if he'll ever turn into like a, I'm going to consistently always make the right PSL decision. And I'm going to be able to gash you for four to eight yards at a time and move down the field. So if I know that I don't think he can get to that, then you really have to turn into like a feast or famine offense, which like, let's be honest, that's kind of what the chiefs are. Like the chiefs are reliant on the shot play. Right. They just hit a lot more than the Broncos right now. But I would like I would I would really get run action shot heavy because I think that's where his strengths are. I think there's a lot of stuff personnel wise the Broncos can do to just give people nightmares. Like if you could, you know, if you could get into ot one right with the no back one tight end and you could we, we were talking about it last time, but teach KJ Hamler how to like just do outside zone or some simple stuff. You can force defenses into dime or force them into quarter. And then, like, you're in a really good situation where you can bring Noah in with, like, a three-man surface and run at it. Or, hey, if they stay in base, you can flex both those guys out and you can gash them. So there's a lot of stuff that I think the Broncos skill-wise can help offset. But I would say I think you have to do even more shot plays. Um, But I also think – I don't mean, like, the one-on-one go ball. I mean, like, by design samurai or by design, like, machete, which is, like, the two deep overs. There's a lot of stuff that that they could do that I think Drew can execute. And I also think it simplifies his read, which would help him just based on kind of the tape that I've seen. It, it just helps him make the right decision more consistently. Well, and I think that was 
to me, the fact that the Broncos didn't go out and necessarily try to replace Drew Locke yet, you know, like quote yeah. unquote yet, the fact that they went out, got Javante Williams, the fact that they ended up drafting a uh, center, like Quinn Miners, center slash guard. And like they, to me, it was a signal that it's a clear prioritizing of their gap concepts from last year, just because Quinn Miners, yeah. when I went and watched his tape, that's what he is. He, he kind of gives you a, a center who can play more down blocks. Whereas yeah. Lloyd Cushenberry kind of struggled with that. Maybe he gets better now, but that wasn't necessarily a strong part of his game last year. And Javante Williams, when I went back over his tape, like that's his best concepts were gap concepts. And I thought down the stretch of last year, the Broncos gap concepts were like clearly the best part of their running game. Yeah. And, and as you said, like with the pulling guard that sets up possibly Everything easier, else. easier yeah. shot plays for that kind of stuff. So if they're going to go with you lock, like, it seems like they're building the personnel to make to maximize that. Yeah, and I think I, I think you're right in the fact that like, hey, they haven't gone out like the Teddy Bridgewater thing to me was kind of like a win-win, right? If yeah. Teddy comes in and plays well, awesome. If Teddy loses the job, cool. Like they didn't go invest so heavily in it, uh, and I think the fact that they weren't like they were in some sweepstakes, but like they weren't like heavy in Carson Wentz or whatever, like. I think it kind of shows like, okay, maybe they have a little confidence in him in building. Um, but uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. And the thing that's, the thing that's hard about all this is it's like you do all this work and you think about all these guys. And then if you go sign Aaron Rodgers, it all goes out the window because yeah. you know, not only are you bringing in probably the one of, if not the best QB right now in the game. And I know people would be like, well, Pat Mahomes, it's like, dude, Aaron Rodgers does stuff that like Mahomes, uh, to me, Aaron Rodgers is one of the best, if not the best right now. Well, you bring him in, and it's like uh, all bets are off because then his game isn't really shot plays off of under center run action. He can do it because he's so damn good, but his game's different. Yeah. His game's going to be more, you know, hey, let's let's get into empty. Let's get into, you know, like really spread out set. So that's the, the other wrinkle of this, and that's where, I, you know, I was talking about it Someone asked me, hey, when does that deal have to be done? Well, it's got to be done. It's a different offense with him. Yeah. And that's where I do think that deal has to be done, you know, at the latest, in my opinion, week one preseason, right? Because yeah. you need like two weeks with it. Or you – there's the other argument, which is F it. Who cares? We'll lose the first four, and then we'll go 12 and four, right? That's the other argument. So um, I don't know. Well, I, I, well, but it question. is so different. My question with that, and again, there's a couple parts to this. So yeah. to your point, well, this is this is why I think some people in Broncos country are getting angry about like the possibility of Aaron Rodgers now. It's because it hasn't happened yet. It didn't happen the first week of, you know, is right after June 1st, it didn't happen. So now it can't happen, which, first of all, it's bullshit. Like I just yeah. heard those listening. <laughs> if you didn't realize that, like the Packers have no incentive to trade him until they know for a fact he is not showing up for the preseason. And yeah. if that's the case, which I I'll, think you'll find out. Yeah. To me, they don't know until training camp. Yeah. Because right now it's still like a a friendly bluff. Yeah. If he doesn't show up for training camp, it's like serious, right? It it's to get like, real. It's like when you bet your buddy five bucks and you lose. It's funny. You bet him a hundred and you're pissed at him, right? Well, so it's like that's what they're at. Well, and the part of that that starts to be like very, very serious is for the Packers. If the Packers know that Aaron Rodgers isn't coming and they're going to start to try and roll out Jordan Love if every single press conference starts with, well, what about Aaron Rodgers? It starts to poison the whole thing. Oh yeah. And that's yeah. why like, and again, I'm not saying I have any sort of special insight into this, but that's why I do believe that Aaron Rodgers, if he doesn't show up, I do think he will force a trade. I don't think they're going to yeah. force him to retire because a, that's going to be bad PR for them for the next, the rest of, you know, his life. Yeah. And if they just let him sit out like that, it'll end up being a burden for the whole season, which is a whole yeah. nother thing. But yeah. My question to you is kind of going off of what you just said. Do you think that the Broncos can like essentially install like a version of the offense that they could build into like the Aaron Rodgers offense, running it with Teddy Bridgewater? Because that might be one of the reasons why it makes sense. Like I've, I've believed that to me, if the Broncos bring in Aaron Rodgers, chances are they're not keeping both Locke and Bridgewater. Yeah. In my I think head. Locke would probably, yeah. I think it's Locke. It, no, and yeah. again, like the argument here is, what does George Payne really want as QB two? My thought is, if you're if you're getting Aaron Rodgers, your Super Bowl window is probably. And again, this is like way off the rails, so I apologize. But yeah. but your Super Bowl window is probably the next three years. Yeah, you probably want a backup who you know can step in. And Bridgewater to me feels like the closer like type 
Like I know he yeah. doesn't have the necessarily the same ar- uh, arm talent, but you can probably run a like a B or a C level Aaron Rodgers offense with Bridgewater. It, so, so to me, it seems like it would make sense. But but I you know I might be way off in the wilderness on that. I think uh, like to be honest, I, I I if I was if I was in Georgia, I one it's going to depend what the Packers want, right? Yeah, like if yeah, I'm the I'll, Packers, I really want Drew Locke. Like I probably wouldn't want Drew Locke because I have Jordan Love. I'd rather have Teddy. But then it's like a, I, I honestly, if I was a betting guy, if we get Aaron Rodgers, I'd be willing to bet that like Ripen is QB two. Like I just think it's like I, I think they end up like dealing Drew somewhere else, or it's like a well, three way trade where that's Drew goes somewhere. Expect, yeah. yeah, I just that's that's kind of what I would think. You know, I to be honest, I don't think the Broncos can install any version of what Aaron would bring. Um, Until they have it. Yeah. And I I think a lot of it has to do with like, they don't really like know what he, you know, like, shoot, I don't really know what it looks like. Right. Like how much of that is mad up there. And then how much of that is, Hey, these are Aaron's plays. Like that would all come out when he comes down. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the same thing. Like with Peyton, you know, Peyton had a good chunk of his playbook. There was still a lot of influence from his coaches. So it's like, well, what's Peyton bringing? What's he not bringing? And that's, I think, is the same conversation with Aaron. I do think, like, Aaron Rodgers is so good in that there can be almost that Tom Brady-Tampa Bay mesh of here's yours, here's mine. And then, you know, I don't know if you heard, there was someone doing an interview. I think it was one of the receivers from Tampa Bay talking about, like, hey, it was the bye week when like we really all came together and figured it out, I I would foresee something like that shaking out in Denver where it's the bye week of they kind of figure out who's, you know, Hey, what works, what doesn't let's, let's figure out what our actual offense is. If Aaron does come down here. Um, But you're right. I just think, you know, I do think there's that frustration in Broncos country and there's the frustration of like, then people are like, well, just root for who we have, which like, I, I kind of get, but not really like if Aaron Rodgers on the table, like, you know, you, you take Aaron Rodgers, but that's, you know, it's, uh, again, I also like, uh, you know, I, I have to take a step back because I'm not like the biggest, like I, I'm not like a the biggest fan, right? Like yeah. I love football. So like, I don't have that, like where I like want to punish another fan perspective. Like some, so that's yeah. where it's hard. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't get it, but I do think like if Aaron Rodgers is out there, eh, he a hundred percent makes the Broncos better. I would honestly come from the perspective, and this is where some people, a lot of people disagree with me. I don't think there's too big of a price to pay. You know, I think a lot of people are like, hey, well, don't blow up this aspect of the team. Dude, blow up whatever you want because you're getting a guy who's perennial, like who's made the Packers a playoff team no matter who's there. So, like, blow up whatever you have to blow up to get him. And and that's kind of where I would come from when it comes to him specifically. No, and, and and I've been going back and forth on this just because, again, like Aaron Rodgers' age is a concern for me just because outside of Brady, we see all these quarterbacks hit 40 and they start to fall off. And yeah. so that is a concern of mine. So that was like the part of it that I've kind of been going back and forth on. But at the same time, like the Broncos minus basically any player on the roster with Aaron Rodgers is still a better team than the current iteration of the Broncos, regardless of who the quarterback is unless Drew Locke makes the Josh Allen leap. So in my yeah. mind, the idea of, well, we can't trade somebody because of Drew Locke and or Teddy is good. You are assuming that Josh Allen, like that Josh Allen leap is coming. Yeah. And, and that to and me I is why I take it on board. And I just think like, it's also like Drew Locke with the Josh Allen jump. Drew Locke as Josh Allen still is not Aaron Rodgers. Yes. Like Josh Allen and again, Josh Allen is a great quarterback. I'm not trying to take anything away from Josh Allen, but Josh Allen is nowhere in the realm of Aaron Rodgers. And and this is this is not from a stat or from like a fan perspective. It's from what he does at the line of scrimmage. Like people don't understand having Aaron Rodgers makes everyone better because he gets you in and out of the the play all the time, well, right? I- and and that's clearly what what Pat didn't feel comfortable with Drew doing yet. And that's where it's not even close. Like I, I would legitimately like people are like, don't touch Vaughn and 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 uh, and Chubb. And it's like I'd trade them both. Like I don't care. Like you could give up rushing the. You could literally play with nine on defense if you have twelve, 
as your quarterback, he just makes you that much better. And it's, of course, like sarcastic, but he's just like he is that much better than it's not Drew or Teddy. It's everyone. Well, and <laughs> well, I'm glad you brought it up with the line of scrimmage, though, because like with Demarius Thomas, like the day we're recording this, guys, is the day that we found out Demarius Thomas is retiring. Yeah. But it makes me think a lot about Peyton Manning versus like the Brock Osweiler, like that 2015 yeah. season. Peyton Manning was a zombie. Like he had basically yeah. nothing left in his arm, but what he did at the line of scrimmage was still so valuable that he was, he was the quarterback for the playoff run and he was the right quarterback for the playoff run yeah. because he kept the Broncos offense on track and kept it. So the defense didn't have to try and carry the game. He did enough. And that's the thing in and, and it. And this came up, I think two years ago, Pat Mahomes said this after the Super Bowl win that he was still figuring stuff out. Yeah. And, and it will, and I think it touches on what you're saying, though. Like, yes, Pat Mahomes probably has more arm talent at this point than Aaron Rodgers does, but Aaron Rodgers has that experience and just like the knowledge that just you can't you can't replace that. Like, that's the experience that he has, and just the level of understanding and how quick he is to make decisions, his accuracy, that that kind of stuff. It's just another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I, I, w- I would make the prediction where I think everyone's going to finally find out what this looks like and it's going to blow everyone's mind, is Stafford with the Rams. Yeah. Everyone's finally going to see what it, it, it what the difference actually is when you get a guy who knows football. And I don't want to say that Goff did it, but who knows football at such a high level that he gets you in and out of the right play. Oh, and by the way, he is still uber talented. And to me, like Aaron Rodgers, like there's all these Peyton Manning comparisons right now because Peyton came – Aaron Rodgers is in such a different spot right now. Peyton Manning, I don't want to say, like, this is Peyton Manning post, like, nerve surgery that people didn't know if he was going to come back. And, like, and I love Peyton. I grew up the biggest Peyton Manning fan. I'd watch every video. I'd jot down everything he did. Like, I was the biggest Peyton Manning fan. But Peyton and Aaron Rodgers, from an arm talent perspective, it's like, dude, They couldn't be more different. And athletically, like Aaron Rodgers is an athletic dude. And I guess I'm not saying Peyton wasn't. Like I know Peyton's a god in Broncos country. But just like Aaron Rodgers is so different. And Aaron Rodgers, here's what I do think is underrated. He, like, I know people like look at him as like an interesting fella. Complex fella. Yeah, the dude is so hyper competitive below the surface I think that there's a chance that he's looking at Tom and how long he's playing and thinking to himself, like, I'm going to play longer than that guy. And that would be like, so now if you trade him and he plays longer than Tom, what'd you trade him for? 10 years, right? Like how long do you get him for? And that's where it's like, I think, I just think there's so much positivity that could come from it. And again, I don't want to get everybody excited. Cause I, I have no, I have no idea. I can't pick up my phone and call Aaron Rodgers. So I, I don't know if he's coming, but I do think it's one of those things that like, there's so much that makes sense about it. The, the upside is so high that to me, yeah. again, I'm the, the longer like this is kind of drawn out and the l- more I've thought about it. And then also the more I've looked at like what next year's quarterback class is to kind of starting to look like yeah. Aaron Rodgers to me makes the most sense. Like unless you're giving up the entire stadium, I'm probably on board. Yeah. Um, and and well, again, and even that it's publicly funded. You just make another. <laughs> and, and like I, on on one level, I do under, like I I'm very cognizant of the risks. Again, like as I just said, like the the forty thing is a, is a, it is scary. But at the same yeah. time, like outside of injuries, Rogers hasn't shown really any sign of like really aging in his arm yet. So like yeah. again, like there's there's a decent possibility he plays into his forties. So it's it, yeah, I'm open to it for sure. Um, I have to I have to press you on yeah. Teddy Bridgewater just because I think you and I do both agree that if Aaron Rodgers isn't coming and the competition is an open competition, I don't think either of us have any reason to believe that it's not going to be a fair competition because yeah. if Antio, Pat Sherman, their, their jobs are on the line. Like they need yeah. the best quarterback to play. 
how like how how can they maximize Teddy Bridgewater? And I want to say this first of all. When I talked to Seth Galina last week, we one of the big things I pressed him on was Bridgewater's arm yeah. because the big narrative about Bridgewater is that he has a weak arm; he can't throw downfield. I think that's bullshit. Um, when I've gone back yeah. over the Carolina games, especially before he got hurt, because he did get hurt, you yeah. know, in the second Tampa game. Yeah. But before he got hurt, like he doesn't do it a lot. Honestly, I think he should do it more often. But he has enough arm to get the ball downfield, and he's accurate yeah. enough to get the ball downfield. He just needs to rip it. Yeah, I think so. What I would say about Teddy is I think it's – I don't think inherently, like, he has a bad arm. And and this is, like, a whole other issue I have with, like, people's criticism of NFL players. Like, he has, like, a top 2.02 arm on planet Earth, right? Yeah. It just in – a, in, a, in, a, in a vacuum between him and Drew, there – in my opinion, there's a substantial arm talent difference. I agree. The, the question is, is do you really have to scale back your playbook with Teddy? And I think that's what you're getting at, which is no, you don't have to actually scale your playbook back. So knowing, hey, I don't have to really take – you might take like the XZ read we were talking about. Like that's not really Teddy's strength. The in cuts though that Teddy like layers, he does a really good job with that. He can drive the ball enough on the post. He can drive it enough on the go. Like – you're you're correct in that like the narrative that he has a bad arm I don't think is true. So how I think you maximize Teddy Bridgewater is giving him more of the plays that Drew struggles with, which is that two shell, three shell, because I think he has seen enough football. What I always have to check myself on is I always view Teddy as like the safe bet. Teddy does turn the ball over. Yes. Now you know, every turnover has a story and that's where you'd really have to grind over every single interception. It's like, okay, well, what, who was that on? How did it shake out? And that's, you know, a different conversation, but I do think like, listen, I don't think you scale your playbook back. I think Teddy has enough of an arm to execute a majority of any NFL offense. So I don't think it's like a real concern. Like I more or less think it's like a convenient talking point for people about like, that it's so limited because it's just not like I, I try to view arm strength of like, does it hurt my playbook? And if it really doesn't hurt my playbook is arm strength an issue. And then inherently, you know, I got in this debate a, a, a long time ago when I first started training guys, I said, put arm strength against any other trait. And then you'll realize how little you care about it. Like if I were to say, Hey, Joe, what do you want in your quarterback? Arm strength or accuracy? Usually you say like accuracy. And then if it's Every arm day strength, of the week. Yeah. And then if you say there's even other things, right? Like, hey, yeah. what do you care more about? Like arm strength or his leadership ability? Like a lot of people are like, I'd rather have someone that people want to follow. Like you start to realize, like, I guess arm strength, Matt, it's it's relative. Like you have, like, I can't just get a guy off the street, but is there really that big of a skew difference? Well, no. Otherwise, Jamarcus Russell would have been the greatest quarterback we've ever seen, right? So that's where I just think it's sometimes blown out of the water, and I think it's sometimes convenient for people who maybe didn't really actually watch the Broncos or the Panthers last season. Because why would you if you didn't have to? Like, yeah. I, you know, like if you're at a national media outlet, like, did you really grind? And this is my issue right now with the people that talk about the Broncos' offense. It's like, dude, did you really watch their tape? Thank you. And it's like a whole different conversation where I, I don't know if you saw, but I got all riled up with like all these rankings. It's like, dude, it's so hard to actually know what the hell's going on in NFL offense. And you're going to watch every single one plus Taysom Hill, apparently. Like this is like, I, I can't do that. So good for you if you could. But yeah, I just think it's more of a convenient talking point. I don't think it's something Broncos country should really worry about with Teddy. The one other concern that I got to bring up with Teddy before, because again, I know I'm I'm kind of pushing on your time. The big concern for a lot of people, and this is the box score scouting type stuff. So I, I feel like you and I are probably on a similar page with this, but I, I do want to, you know, I don't want to talk to you about it. People get caught up on Teddy Bridgewater's touchdown numbers just because he hasn't yeah. had a big touchdown season. Um, And I know I, I shared it with you and I think you and I've talked about it, but when Bridgewater brought up the practice stuff with Joe Brady last year, and again, we weren't in the rooms, you know, all that. Like, I'm not trying yeah. to ask Joe Brady, but when I started going back over the games, like early in the season, it de definitely does look like Brady was very, very run heavy within the twenties or yeah. eight within the 20. And then also like they're running a lot of like 
sail concept or like vertical type shots into the end zone from the red zone, which puts yeah. a lot on your quarterback. Like you're, you're, you're trying to fit a ball in at that point. You're not necessarily creating open guys. Um, like should Broncos country be worried about that aspect of it, I guess. And I know that's, that kind of a dumb yeah. question, but I no, it's not a dumb question at all. And I, and I, I mean, I think it's a fair question, but I, and I, I think it also applies to drew. And I think it's one of those things that it's like, TD to INT, like inherently, I don't believe in, right? Like of like, okay, if one guy's 19 and 13 and the other guy's 20 and 12, well, the 20 and 12 guy's better. But when you compound it over time of like consistently it being like relative, that's when it's a concern. Um, no, I, you know, I don't think they should be like, oh, I'm worried about how he's going to execute in the red zone because of what he did in Carolina. I, I I think it's more of a broader question of like, do you believe Teddy can be 30 and 10, right? Um, or is he just like not really built like that and he's more going to be like a 20 and 10 guy, but does it matter? Because that's what the Broncos need, right? Is So no, I don't think they should be concerned. I do think if over a quarterback's whole career, it's like, it's like, it's just so hard for me to say that though, because it's like, I also know, man, I went back and I watched every single Sam Darnold snap this year and his TD to INT looked like hell and it had nothing to do with Sam Darnold. Thank you. So it's like, it's, 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 it's a hard thing. And it's, and I think Broncos country's probably getting all pissed at each other. Cause it's like, someone will say, Hey, I like Teddy Bridgewater. And that same person probably said, well, Drew Locke's TD to INT. So that's where I think everybody's probably yelling at each other. So I just think it's, it's a hard stat. No. And that's, I, I've been trying, the more and more I've like started talking to like you and like other people that really like know what the hell they're talking about, the less I've really gotten caught up on like box score stats like that. I think I like, I look at them. I think they're notable. I think you cite them, but like you just said, it's, it's relative. And the other thing that with Teddy Bridgewater specifically, and I know this is like, everyone's an exception, everyone's special type thing, yeah. but Bridgewater's career is so weird that to me, yeah. it's really <laughs> hard. It's really hard to get caught on that because even if you look at the fact he's been in the league forever, he he was a rookie, played as, you know, like a rookie, had yeah. one year where he was good, made the Pro Bowl, you know, he was okay. Next year he got hurt. And then basically after that, he was a backup until last yeah. year. So it's just he he's had a really weird career to really get caught on his numbers for for me, because he's also played for a bunch of different systems across that time. Yeah. And it's hard to evaluate. I think it's hard to evaluate any quarterback in like a two to three game stretch with Sean Payton. Sean Payton's gonna make you look good. He is one of the top play callers. Yeah, and then is the league gonna then catch up to your weaknesses? Well, we don't know because Drew Brees is back. So that's where I think it's hard to really evaluate those years. I do think it's one of those things, though, that you know, I I just wouldn't be overly concerned of that aspect if I was a Broncos fan. There are other things you could have concerns about, but that's one that I just wouldn't really be overly like really really worried about this season for Teddy. Uh, kind of on a scale, like last thing before I let you go. Yeah. I don't like a scale of one to 10, 10 being like, I have no concerns at all. They're going to the Super Bowl, They might go undefeated. One being like, yeah. we are shitting out the year and we're going to end up with the number one overall pick. Kind of like yeah. how confident do you feel in the quarterback room before like an Aaron Rodgers trade? Cause oh. with Aaron Rodgers, I feel like you and I are both kind of at a 10. The biggest yeah. concern for me is I, the timing of it. Yeah. I say this, this is such a cop out for me. I could really be at like an eight with Drew if I knew what he did this offseason, right? And and it's not a criticism against him because, you know, like by by all means, he's not like a big social media guy. So it's like hard to really know. Um, but it's like, and it's like the Peyton stuff that you hear. It's like, that's awesome. But I want to know what those conversations were. Was it just bullshitting and drinking beer and watching film? Or was it like, hey, here's what I did on Mondays. Here's what I did on Tuesdays. Because there's a lot of stories like, you know, and again, I'm not comparing the two, but like Kobe and Michael Jordan and like Kobe, like wanting to know every detail. Right. So there's like, I, I, I would say like with no inside knowledge, I'd say I'm a six. I think they're going to be better than 500. I think if a lot of it's going to come down to if Drew can limit the mistakes, if he plays can limit the mistakes of like the scramble situations and the, like the, what the hell are you doing? Interceptions have to go. Yeah. Right. If those go, the Broncos offense looks way different. 
my fear for Drew is that those weren't addressed in a meaningful way. And that it was a lot of, you know, getting your feet to neutral, which again, I, I was huge on of stop doing the right foot back. It's nonsense. So I was happy to see that there's some things that I was like, wow, this is going to help. Then there's other like more complex issues with regarding to like, Hey, the two shell, three shell and all this stuff that we're not going to really have any insight into of like, what was the workload there? Was that like something we watched and cared about? Did we watch, you know, did we watch every single Raiders game? Like that's something that like a lot of people don't talk about is like all offseason NFL quarterback really should watch like every single game of their division guys and like, okay, well, how'd this guy call this situation? And then, okay, well, what are we going to call? And then like quiz himself. Like, was that going on? Like, we don't have insight into that. So that's where it's hard for me to say like, hey, I'm an eight. I do think they're going to be better than 500 just because I think this roster is so good. I don't think we're, to me, I would be like shocked if it was like a four or five win team. Like that would shock the hell out of me just because I think the roster is so good. I, I, I just, I'm not at the point where I think like, man, they're for sure making the playoffs. I think okay. it's, you know, a little over 500. I think there's a chance that they catch fire and make a run at that extra wild card spot. Like, listen, let's be honest. The AFC West, if Justin Herbert's as good as advertised and Derek Carr keeps going at the rate that he's going with John Gruden, I mean, there's a chance that there's three playoff teams in the AFC West. So are the Broncos that far off from the Raiders and Chargers? I don't think they're that far off. Um, You know, the Chiefs, a different conversation. But when you draft a guy not number one overall who turns out like Patrick Mahomes, like it ends up like, you know, it's like it's a thing that people don't talk about about the Patriots dynasty. Like they got arguably the greatest quarterback of all time in the sixth round. Like how much does that help you that you didn't waste the seven first round picks trying to find a quarterback? You got him in the sixth round. Thank you. So, you know, that's something that I do think, you know, that that's kind of where the Chiefs are at and and it's going to be tough and to that's going to be a tough comparison, but it's all about in the NFL getting to the playoffs. Because yep. as we've seen from there, anything can happen. And you catch someone on the right night or the conditions are correct on the field and you sneak a game in and then all of a sudden you're on a run, you're in the Super Bowl. So I do think that I don't think the Broncos are that far off. I just I wish I knew more about what they were doing this offseason, and I wish I knew more about, like, well, how did OTAs actually look? Like, how does training camp actually look? Um, because that would answer, I think, a lot of these questions. Or, you know, I feel like I would watch one seven-on-seven period and have a really good feel of of what it's going to be like. So we'll see. I'm at a six. I'm at a six, which is kind of a cop-out because it's just middle oh. of the road. <laughs> well, I mean, the way you explain it, though, I mean, and, and- – Listening, those listening might be a little bit trouble with this, but I feel very, very similar to a lot of this because, again, like there's so much that you hear about, but it's hearsay, really watered yeah. down. Simple, like, yes, Drew Locke worked with Payne Manning. Yes, they talked about protections and getting to his hot, but what did they actually talk about? Like, yeah. follow up with the question. Like, find, like, yeah. I would love to find out more. And, and it's, hard. Knowing, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard because there is that, you know, like I've just been a part of so many whiteboard sessions and I've been a part of some whiteboard sessions with some really like star powered guys that I got nothing from because it was a lot of stories. Yeah. Um, Peyton doesn't seem like that kind of guy to me, though, when you talk to him. Right. He doesn't seem like a guy who wants to tell you a bunch of his stories. He wants to talk about why it's so cool that you can pick up nickel Sam in, in two jet like you know, that, like, that's how he seemed. So I, I would guess that they were more detailed how often they happened or kind of then what did the follow-up throwing sessions look like? You know, what was the emphasis? Those are all the things that we'll never know. And those are the things that, to me, make someone great. Mm-hmm. Um, but listen, I mean, he addressed, he addressed some meaningful things, right? Like the quarterback stance, a lot of people, like, brush it off. It's a really meaningful thing. Um, to so me- for him to change that, I do think that's, like, him going in the right direction and trying to work at it. Well, and that's, that to me is one of the, re- and, and again, like it's one of the reasons I've really tried to step back on being so critical of it. Cause to me, that's a real sign that he looked at last year and said, yes, there is a problem. I need to do yeah. what I can do to fix it. And I am doing stuff that I was saying that all year, you know? Yeah. Well, and it's like, for me, it's like, whether it works or whether it doesn't like, yes, I hope again, I hope Drew Locke ends up being the best quarterback out of the two. And I hope he ends up being a pro bowler this year. 
the skepticism, I, I can't get over that, like just that part of yeah. it. But yeah, the fan, yes, fuck yeah, I want him to be a, yeah. I want him to be a Hall of <laughs> Famer. Like yeah. I, the, the Broncos are clearly a better team if he turns into a Hall of Fame quarterback. Like I'm not rooting yeah. against him. So the fact I that he's putting in the work to me is really, really good. And I think what you brought up right there is the interesting conversation is what happens if Teddy is the guy this year and does okay? Like that's where it's hard. It's like, where do you go from there? Yeah. Um, what's interesting is who knows, like, you know, NFL quarterbacks used to stay in a location or for a team forever. Yep. Like with what happened with like what Russell Wilson said this offseason and, and Aaron Rodgers and Deshaun Watson makes you think like, Maybe that mindset's not there anymore. And like, I'd love to be like a G golly whiz. I miss the good old days guy. I'm just not like, it just appears that that's not the intent anymore. And it's more of like, no, if you guys suck, I'm going to go somewhere else, which is more than fair for the guys to do. Yep. Um, you know, again, I think Deshaun Watson is obviously off the table for a while, but I, I do think it's one of those things that who knows? You know, shoot, we could be getting all riled up about uh, about Aaron Rodgers, and then Russell Wilson is the Broncos quarterback in 2022. So we just have no idea. <laughs> but whole, the fact that they're building the infrastructure is good. Like, I'm, I'm excited yeah. for that. So so hopefully the roster, quarterback emerges somewhere. Yeah, the roster as a whole is in a really good spot, in my opinion. If these, these young skill guys, man, they're – I think it's an exciting time to be a Broncos fan because I do think – I think if you're Aaron Rodgers, that's part of what makes it attractive is that it is a good roster. So, um, and it's a roster of guys that are like young enough to still not like demand the football, which like people don't understand, like that haven't played quarterback, but then guys get to a certain point where they start debating the football. And that's a, that's tough. If you have like, it's part of why I think Cleveland is where it's at is there's a lot of guys who like need the ball. And, like, that's tough to navigate. So it's, like, these guys are just young enough to, like, still, like, crave just being in the NFL that it's, like, God, if you get a veteran quarterback, it's it's special. So it's an exciting time to be a Broncos fan, and, and it's going to be a hell of a wait until training camp for them. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, thanks again for your time. Guys, again, if you do not follow Tim on Twitter, he is at T Jenkins Elite. Um, yeah, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. No, man, I appreciate it. It was a blast.